This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Sir Auntie Charmaine Fury, aka The Blasian Blurred, the Busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 175, and my guest today is James Portis from the Panel to Panel podcast. Uh, Panel to Panel podcast is a a comic book podcast that is uh, from the black, queer, and woman perspective. James is one of the co hosts on that show. And we were connected through Old Man Wade from the Old Man Wade Show, and we're working on um, an unrelated project, and we got to talk, and I was talking about Militantly Mixed a lot, and so James was like, hey, I'm mixed, and we got into it, and so I was like, why don't you come on the show? Uh, James is a black and white biracial person that was raised predominantly within whiteness with his white side of the family. He did have intermittent access to his black side of the family, but most of of his life, what he describes is that he did kind of grow up in whiteness. And um, since this has come up quite a bit on the show, especially since we did our white passing, white presenting, white assumed, white presumed episode, um, the comments and things that we've engaged on related to this, and actually maybe this even goes back further to last year when we had our episode with uh, Dr. Yaba Blay, um, the the way that black, white, racial people who are raised in whiteness maneuver in their blackness um, comes up a lot. In, in conversation, and, and we've been talking to people about this and trying to build um, whatever will be our next version of this conversation for the Mixanti Confidential episodes uh, with Teresa and myself and, and the people that we are trying to get as guests. And uh, James, what he brings up is very much a part of what we were trying to talk about. And since, since Teresa and I, neither of us come from uh, that um, mixed race identity, we, we need to talk to other people. And James does something in this conversation, which is it's one of those things that really stands out when I have a conversation like this, because I was raised in blackness and he was raised in whiteness. And it's really obvious in the conversation between us, like in the ways that we are different. And um, and so I'm I'm always fascinated. It's, it's just a lot different of a situation, because even though I'm light skinned and racially ambiguous, growing up in blackness, I I maneuver closer how do I even there's just no language for this like I maneuver black people understand that I'm mixed but I I I am in blackness I am treated as black when I'm in the other parts of the world uh, you know um I am treated as a non-white person not necessarily a black person and so I I I don't experience all the things that more obviously phenotypically black people experience. I experience some of it, but not not nearly as much. 
or someone like James who has a a light skin but more obviously black phenotypical presentation but grew up in whiteness does often get treated as if not fully non-white non-black and this always baffles me so this is kind of the conversation that we have we we, we talk about this and in ways that um that things are, are sort of interesting for me is in the way a black white biracial person that grew up in whiteness describes black people so there is a section in this episode in which james uses a comedy special from eddie griffin to um to talk about the black people in his own family um and eddie griffith this bit he uses very negative stereotypical um ideas concepts whatever to describe four different types of black people um none of which i would co-sign on as a person who grew up in blackness who grew up in particular in black hoodness not to say that there aren't some elements to each of these types of categories of people that exist but um but in the in the negative stereotype ways in which he does this um it would just be something that i can't identify with as a as a mixed black kid who grew up in the hood but james having grown up predominantly in whiteness or what he would even describe as like white hood on this episode um this these concepts of people connected to him and so that is how he uses he does so he uses those to describe the people in his family and i understand how this happens but it always surprises me too but that's because i don't know what it's like to maneuver as a mixed person growing up with white family i i only had white one white family member that i grew up around so i i don't have as much of an influence in, in this area that someone like james has and so it was just really interesting and fascinating and it it, re, it needs more conversation like i need more conversations like this so that i can get to the heart of whatever it is about this that that makes me need to know more <laughs> i don't even know what that is but um, it's fascinating to me that it's possible for someone with a more obviously black phenotypical appearance maneuvers um, closer to whiteness, I guess, than someone like me who is super racially ambiguous and short of being around black people, people not realizing I'm black, and yet my access to blackness is um, more obvious. Uh, I guess I, I don't know I need more language to learn how to talk about what it is that I'm thinking but it, it's it's definitely interesting and it, it does come up in this episode um, there's something that I think I want to call a trigger warning but I'm not 100% sure if it's necessary for that um, trigger warnings are kind of new to me I, I I it's just not the language that I grew up with and so I've been trying to get better at that because I've had conversations with people really recently where I'll say something and someone goes, whoa, trigger warning. And so I don't realize that like some people need some kind of warning that I'm about to say something that might trigger you. So I'm getting used to that. I'm, I'm learning and I'm, I'm trying. So this may not be that situation, but I, I feel compelled to try anyways, um, if it's helpful to the audience. Uh, so this might be a trigger warning. In this episode, both James and I um, talk about childhood abuse because we are two people who experience abuse at the hands of our parents. We don't go into graphic detail. 
it's it doesn't take up the majority of this episode although it comes up a couple of times and and that's just because we're two people in a conversation who both happen to be abused by our parents and it is also tied to the way we view our own identity because of the parents races um and things like that so I'll, I'll just put it out there that in terms of it's more mentioned than talked about if that makes sense and so if that might be sensitive for you just a fair warning it does come up in this episode probably the the hardest thing that might come up and again we don't go into graphic detail or anything like that is I happen to mention um uh let's say the attention that was paid to me by my mom's boyfriend when I was a child. Let's say that. Uh, again, not graphic detail, just mentioning it. So if that is a trigger. It'll pop up in this episode one time. Um, James and I both, I think, I, I'm not a therapist, but I, I believe we both have the same defense mechanism in that we talk about our own childhood abuse in very disconnected terms as if we're talking about it, as if we're describing it from somebody else's perspective. Um, definitely defense mechanism, something that I've worked on in therapy for years. And it's, it's really just a way for us to tamp down the emotion that we might not want to have to a stranger, probably. Uh, we both also kind of either laugh through some of it or make jokes at the expense of it. And this is also a major defense mechanism for me. Uh, and I, I think it's just very common in people, in adults that um, suffer childhood abuse. So there's times when it might seem like we're talking about it very disconnectedly. And I'll only say that we are because those are those are the defense mechanisms of, of people who grew up like us. So um, if that is also unsettling, that that, that happens too. That, that is what it is. Uh, before we get into this episode, though, uh, just a couple of announcements. As you all know, I've been talking about this for a while. Militantly Mix is about to hit the fourth anniversary of the doing this show. And I'm so excited and happy about this milestone. I am... I plan to, or plan to, I expect to be very emotional because um, I've been emotional several times in the last couple of weeks knowing it's coming. I'm trying to put together a anniversary episode that does involve audience involvement. Um, so if this show has meaningful to you in any way, shape or form, if a, if a guest's story reflected you and you want to shout out that guest or you want to ask that guest a question, I will do my best to try to get a hold of them and, and get an answer, hopefully, if they have time for you for the show, I would like to be able to drop clips in from y'all, uh, what the show means to you. If you want to ask her, if you want to answer the, um, what do you love most about being mixed question? If, um, if you have a, a testimonial, I guess, of some sort of, of, of the show or of the people that have been on the show, or you're a former guest that still listens and you want to share what your experience was like as well, uh, drop some little short clips that I can include in the show. Um, I know I talk about this all the time. I always wanted a call-in element to the show, and I don't know what it'll take to actually get it to be a thing, but I really hope that at least for the fourth anniversary episode, I'm able to get some clips from, from folks that love the show. So uh, you can email those to Charmaine at militantlymixed.com, or probably because it might be um, a heavy clip, if you want to put it in a Google Drive and share it to me, then I will probably request it from my um, Gmail from Militantly Mix, militantlymix at gmail.com, which I don't use except for, for Google Drive. Um, so send me, send in your notes, send in your voice mes mes memos, 
uh, send in your voice memos, anything so that I can include those in the fourth anniversary episode. And that will be July 5th, which is Tuesday. So I will pretty much need everything by next Tuesday to start working on this episode um, together. Uh, so yeah, I really hope that happens. And as you all know, this is a fan-sponsored podcast, and it's with your support that I'm able to keep this show going and growing. Uh, if you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mix and subscribe as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. And you can choose either a monthly and or annual sponsorship through Patreon. Um, there is also the, uh, I guess, if you just want to drop some coins in the tip jar and not commit to a monthly or annual sponsorship, you can go to paypal.me slash mix and drop some coins for the show there. Everything goes back into the production of the show. I did do an Instagram live on Monday, June 20th. Um, also, I'm recording this on Tuesday, June 21st. Um, the intro that I had previously, it was, it's a thing. Never mind. I had to re-record today. Um, so I did talk about my feelings about Juneteenth and, and sort of what happened with the bastardization of the holiday this year and the first year of its federal recognition. Um, but that deleted, uh, well, I was trying to end the call and, and a phone call came in at the same, or end the IG live and a phone call came in at the same time. And by the time I got off and tried to get back to Instagram, it was gone. So I didn't save it. I do have feelings and I might talk about it again somewhere else, but I've also been ranting about this on multiple podcasts and stuff like that. So maybe it's already out there. I usually do a Juneteenth episode for Militantly Mix. I didn't get to do one this year because I had an unexpected um, family emergency trip last week. And uh, so, you know what? And then I was I was away this weekend as well. So um, just note, I have feelings. <laughs> I guess I'm just noting that I have feelings about what happened to this holiday this year um i'll probably get into it another time but let's get let's go ahead and jump into today's episode so without further ado please welcome our latest cousin to the military mix family james portis Today is a fellow podcaster and fellow mixed cousin, James Boris of the pay panel. I was about to say paid, paid to paid, panel to panel podcast. <laughs> Hopefully we get paid at one point. Hey, um, <laughs> panel to panel podcast. Welcome, James. Why don't What's you introduce up? yourself to the audience and uh, let's get into it. For sure, for sure. Like, 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 like she said, uh, my name is James Portis. Uh, I've been podcasting for about six years now. I host the uh, comic book podcast, Panel to Panel, where it's comic books and nerd culture from a queer black and woman standpoint. Like uh, my two hosts and I do, do the damn thing and like have a good time, whether it's like spotlighting books, interviewing creators, whatever we can do, just having a good time, like, like, like shouting out the good stuff. Um, I am working on a couple of other projects, but that's my main focus right now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what's your mix? Uh, I am uh, half African American, <laughs> half Caucasian. You, I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> sure, it's I, 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 
I hate asking the question. <laughs> like, no, like cool. the, the question that like literally white people ask us all the time. Like, where are you from? What are you? Um, but in this case, for a long time, like when, when people heard mixed, especially in black culture, when you hear mixed, it's just like you black just meant black. black. Yeah. Yeah. So that one was always tough for me because people knew I was black, but I wasn't white. So it was, well, I mean, okay, correction. Ethnically, I am mixed with white, uh, but culturally, I'm raised black and Japanese. And so both of my, you know, my mom's Japanese, my dad's black, both of them have a white parent. So technically, ethnically, half white, but I grew up with no white people. I grew up with one white lady in my family, and that's my British grandmother. So I don't have a, um, a white identity or a white adjacency at all. Gotcha. So when people would say black and white, and they'd be like, you know, your mom is white or so like, you know, what something like that. I'd be like, no, I don't have a white parent. Like I'm, I'm a Japanese or whatever. So that one was always tough for me. Now I think that's kind of changing. I think now people are starting to claim mix, even though, even if they're not black, but for a long, long time, mix meant you were at least mixed with black. And usually it meant you had a black daddy. Yeah, um. <laughs> that's the case with me. Yeah, I mean, same with me. And then a lot of times, like, I mean, even recently, while it is kind of changing a little bit more now that more people who don't have black fathers are are sharing their story. But if, even in the last five years, I've heard people on like comedians on stage being like, I'm mixed the correct way, meaning I got a black dad and a white, you know, like they'll say that, like they'll say like mix the right way and shit like that. So um it is funny i i mean i knew your mix but for, to to let the course, audience yeah. <laughs> to let the audience get into it um so we're connected through a couple of other podcast folks like uh old man wade and um super Bowl coffee and stuff like that so uh that's how we got connected uh but why don't we kind of get into it because one of the things that came up we were talking about something unrelated the other day but what came up in the course of our conversation was um, something that I've been talking to folks on this show about lately is this uh, uh, black, white, biracial with white adjacency mm -hmm. experience, which you you said you could talk to me about this. So because uh, <laughs> so, I don't have like I said to you earlier, like I don't have white adjacency. And, and honestly, I wasn't even around white people until I was like 16, 15, 16. Mm. So. Um, it was a whole new world when I saw <laughs> uh, when I saw white people for the first time. Um, so why don't we get into kind of like what your what your family dynamic is and and what you, how your mix plays into that, and then we can right. kind of get into this white adjacency com conversation. Okay, so like my uh, up until a year ago, my mother was very much always the like the person who was like sadly the stereotypical like country girl who like really wanted some chocolate kind of thing like she fell into that stereotype really hard like before that my family never touched the, like the other side of the, of the of the road kind of thing and it, it sucks but it, it's like that was how my family very much was i was the first black kid in the white neighborhood and that was always the weirdest thing granted my mom had black friends and she was progressive once she started dating my dad like like my, my neighbors were black. I, like I grew up in the hood over here on Brown Street, Dakron. If you know where that's at, that's what's up. But like it was in, ge <laughs> it's in general, just like that's where like we were for a long time. And my dad, my, like it was always my mom was like she grew up like, like, in the juvie system. She was that rebel, like without a cause kind of person. And like, like my, my grandfather was a trucker, so she was always trying to rebel when he wasn't around, kind of thing. Then there was my father who 
had every opportunity he could ever aspire to. My my my, my other grandfather uh, worked at the Chrysler plant for years, like busted his ass to give him every opportunity possible, and he squandered it. Versus my uncle, my namesake, who is very much like educated, went to college, became became a professor, then became a teacher kind of thing. My dad was like, you know, what? I'm gonna fuck it all up, and like like he was like he was very <laughs> like he like to a T. To this day, I, I I call him Lucius Lion because not only was he always doing the drug game, being an idiot kind of thing, but then went to Chrysler and started like, like following in my grandfather's footsteps, but then became the most womanizing black man you'll ever meet your entire life. It was very much like what once he popped out a kid with one woman, he would find the next. And then after a while, he he moved on to white women, and that's where my uh, my little sister and I come from. We are the big baby oh, okay. of the rest of the family. And, How many siblings do you have? Do you know? Um, I, there's uh me, my, my my little sister Divine. We are the mixed babies. Then there is Timmy and Tammy, who come from one parent, and then like 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 to this day, that's all we know about. But I swear, there's more. Like he he can swear up and down. Like like that that that. that Listen, but like. And, and even and even growing up, once he got clean and like stopped messing with cocaine and, and whatnot, and like he went because he even went to jail for abusing the white women, which is hilarious. And then like 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 moved on further. Well, abuse is hilarious, but the fact that he kept making stupid decisions is hilarious. But like he then came out and was starting to be more in everyone's lives. He still would like go from woman to woman almost every other like month. And like he would always teach us, like have manners, call them miss, and yada yada. But it was it was very obvious he wasn't <laughs> oh the best gosh. role model possible. Like 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 whatever we, we like ironically like like with like with your name he was like 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 uh, I actually knew a Charmaine that he dated. So it was very funny. Oh, where funny. You, you would go to Miss Charmaine's house or Miss Monique's house and like be respectful, and then like the next month. We were somewhere else, and it's like wow. Yeah, my my dad was like that too. Like I, my my dad took my brother and I on dates with him with other women while he was still with my mom. Oh, and uh, he was on a date when my brother was being born. Uh, my my brother and I are five years apart, but my parents were together that whole time. But my dad was a Rolling Stone for sure. So literally, as a brown person, the only one of the only reason why I took Ancestry dot com test was to find out if I have surprise siblings popping up. I almost thought I had one because someone contacted me and it said like within first cousin or close, you know, like close relative or whatever. And um, we got to talking because they were adopted out. And so she was like, I just want to know who my family is. And you're like the closest relative I I have linked to. Uh, Come to find out she is the child of one of my grandfather's siblings. But there was a period of time I'm like, you could be my sister. Or you could be my cu- my first cousin because I got a couple Rolling Stones out on my dad's sibling set. Gotcha. Uh, but it turned out it was one of my um, one of my grandfather's siblings that 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 okay. that, that that person came to. But yeah, that's literally why I took the the ancestry because I'm like I'm just curious. I'm if, you know, uh, I, I've had a guest on this show who who actually found their their biological family through ancestry because oh, they had been God. adopted out and. Um, and we've become friends too. So like that's like it's a weird thing as a brown person to do ancestry.com specifically or any of the American based ones. But um but yeah, that's why I did it because I was like, I'm just curious if I got some siblings out there because I, I I know my dad was out on these streets. <laughs> I'm just curious. The only other siblings I know of, I don't know them, but I I knew them when they were babies. Um, but we we don't have a relationship now, but I'm aware of where they're at and all that kind of stuff. But 
um we're not family we're just relatives well, but yeah this is like one day one day i'm just gonna get that ping and i'll be like i fucking knew it you know <laughs> i i do believe i'm the oldest because my parents were 14 and 16 when um she got pregnant and stuff like that and i was a planned pregnancy believe it or not my my brilliant teenage parents thought um if they got pregnant they could get kicked out of their houses instead of just like running away but all right is what it is that's what they are they were they were they were what they were <laughs> my parents were what they were uh but it, it, that is funny to like be respectful while also like teaching the kids to be respectful right, no, while like, literally like, being disrespectful and, and there was even a time where like my dad was so serious ironically for miss charmaine like like i think she, she had two uh, two kids too so like my, my older brother would hang out with the older brother and like they would force me to hang out with the younger, the younger brother who was psychotic like uh and, 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 like i remember there was that that like uh the old clip of, of the, the kid who used to play with, with like with, with cigarettes that like the little chubby chubby kid who played with cigarettes who was all like the boondocks made a joke about him that was that kid like he was that kind of crazy where like he would want to get you into trouble and shit like that and he just want to do time. hood rat shit with his friends right like he just wanted me to like like to get in trouble that way he could blame me for shit and um like like my dad was so serious about her that my mom was like all right cool you're serious and like my, my kid's gonna be over here i'm gonna buy all you motherfuckers groceries for a week like like, like that's how like my mom tried to like associate herself occasionally because oh with was, the like, other women that you're yeah no like every mm. once in a while she's like like when my dad would act serious because sometimes it was just like he was just whatever but every once in a while he would get real serious about a woman and then like my mom would try because she wanted like me to be happy around my father but like other times she just knew the bullshit was there <laughs> That's pretty awesome because like my my mom was never going to be friendly with my stepmom and my stepmom was not friendly with us, you know, so like, mm. like, but literally it's like, you're not in competition, like once you break up, <laughs> you're not in competition with those exes, like right. just, it's about the kids, it's about co-parenting, so that's pretty, that's pretty awesome of your mom to try to like learn, you know, get, get connected to the people so that you could like properly co-parent shit like that, that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, like there was even one time where like uh, there was Miss Monique. She came to my fifth grade graduation, and she was there for when I had foot surgery when I was in fourth grade. So like there was a time where like there was a coexistence of the parents when my dad wasn't being a toxic individual. So it, 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 there was that little bit of a good spot. But mostly growing up, when, when my dad wasn't around, whether he was in jail or running around the streets being an idiot, it was very much like I grew up as just a really tan white kid. And I never really had okay. black friends, did, like, didn't really have that. And every once in a while, my mom would be like, yo, you're black, it's okay, like, if people bully you or whatever. Because that happened occasionally. So Where, people like, thought of you as white, just a dark white? Well, like, not even that. It was more so, like, they knew I was black, okay. but they, they they sort of just let me exist. Like, I was the house. Like, 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 like the house. Yeah, like, like the like, light skin pass kind right. of. Right. Like, it was, it was that kind of thing. Like, or even the fact that I had an Italian godmother. Like, that kind of thing. It let me slide by and get, and get around that kind of thing. And it's like, in that atmosphere. Now, granted, when I started going to public school, because for a while I was in private school. Uh, well, I went to public school for all of elementary school. There was other, like, black kids. But they acted as if because the way I talked that I was just another white kid. Like, that, like they, they never really cared. It, it wasn't until, I think, middle school where I had the knowledge of what, what was going on to be mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, I'm mixed. And they were like, oh, all right, cool. And, like, I started to coexist 
with everybody else. Okay, that's interesting because so one of the things that I just I end up encountering on this show a lot is um, so I grew up in black community. I, I grew up in black right. culture and stuff like that, and so I was I it feels unique based off of the people who've been on the show, but I don't think my experience is necessarily unique. Um, but it's just based off the people that I have on the show is that like, I was always black. No question. As even as ambiguous presenting as I am. And, and I have Japanese hair, like my hair is the texture of Japanese hair. Um, I used to get perms and stuff like that to try to (laughs) try to look a little bit more black and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I usually just ended up looking Mexican or something, but because I was in long beach and stuff. So, but you know, like I was just accepted as black. I, I was rarely ever questioned. Um, everybody knew at least I had a black daddy, so therefore black, right? Mm. Um, but when I talk to people on the show, especially black right, biracial folks that grew up around white, it feels like everybody has the story of how black kids heard that you quote unquote talked white, and therefore you didn't get the black pass. Yeah. And it's 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 always baffles me that like skin tone in this in this regard, skin tone does not matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you present the way you present and yet you didn't have the black pass and I look as ambiguous as I look and I got it. It's so so this is something like like I keep wanting to talk to people about this because it's so bizarre to think that like I how do I have a pass that you don't like you may not have had until middle school. I think it's more so like where where like like like, like I guess that common phrase of you get in where you fit in kind of thing. Where right, like, right you you had that ability to grow up around your black family and whatnot versus me where unless like one of my black relatives reached out to my mom when my dad wasn't around or something like that because my cousins occasionally would because they would have known what was up and like i would go see them occasionally it would coexist but like even when my dad got out of jail and i was and i was like like we'll go over for visitation and stuff like that it was always when i'm with my black family i'm the mix i'm the mixed baby when i go Mm. back over with my mom I'm either like white passing or I'm the black kid. Really? Like, because like, it even when I hit high school, it was very obvious that my mom was slaving away to pay for Catholic school because I went to St. V, but mm-hmm. much like LeBron. But like every other black kid that was there, that was there off of vouchers. They were they weren't there paying the like multiple mm. grands of. So uh, that's like, even like, another level of removal exactly. from your blackness. I see. Because, like, there That's... was, like, 20, 30 kids that were there off of vouchers that, like, were darker than me. But, like, my mom literally slaved away working multiple jobs to, to mm. put me through that. That's interesting. So, like, did you go through a weird a period of, like, I'm white, no, I'm black, no, I'm mixed? Like, yeah. did you did you go back and forth in terms of your own identity? Well, for a long time, it was very much, like, I just didn't know and I didn't care. But then when I hit middle school, it was very much, like, I'm mixed. I'm gonna like start like like dealing with that. But then there was a time, and even like, like now, where I I I'm commonly I'll just say I'm black, but not only because like white people are toxic, but also just growing up in middle school and high school, every white person that I met that wasn't in my immediate family was a horrible like person or a role model. I see. Because especially growing up in Catholic school, every like person was either rich or annoying or just like a shut in that didn't want to talk to you. So, um, but like, especially when I got to high school, where in middle school, I started to cultivate uh, creative rapping and poetry. That was the thing that I did to stop people from bullying me because mm. I, I like, I like, I like sort of like hit six foot and stopped. So people called me the gentle giant and wanted to mess with me. But then once I got to, once I got to high school, 
and they, like, they found out I could rap, not only was I able to coexist with the other black kids for once, but then the really dumb, culturally inept white kids would want to like be friends with me because they wanted that black friend. They wanted a black adjacency. I see. Yeah. So that's, it was very, that's... it was very much that kind of atmosphere where I started to say more so that I was black because it, I felt ashamed to be white. I get that. I also think that there there comes a point in which like within your identifying as black, which is different for me just because based off of presentation, but like I'm black because I'm culturally black. I'm black because yes, I have a black parent, but my culture, my my core culture that I was raised in and the community that I was raised in was black. But I also understand that when I say in a space that I'm black, people are hearing you're mixed because of the way I look. Whereas like you, if you say I'm black, even if someone knows you're mixed or even if someone thinks you're, you know, mixed or something like that, they're going to be like, yeah, of course mm -hmm. you're black. Yeah. Right. Like, cause you, you right. can walk around with that. Um, and so I, uh, there was something that I saw on TikTok recently that, that started to make me think about this because before that you couldn't, you could not tell me I wasn't black. Like even in terms of like phenotypes, yes, I don't have the skin color phenotype and I don't have the hair phenotype, but I have the face, I have the body shape, you know, like I have, I have things that are coded, but when we're talking about race, I don't have a race, you know? So like that, that's gotten me starting to think about how I use the words like I am black depending on the audience that I'm around, which I never had to quit. I never felt like I had to question that before. But what I experienced when I talked to folks that have a similar mix to you, it's that like, you're almost like for especially maybe, maybe not in your case, but in the case of someone who like legitimately was like only around white people and never really got the black pass, quote unquote, mm -hmm. like that they'll say something like, um, if I say I'm black, I get told I'm lying or I get told, you know, like, you know, because you didn't grow up with a black parent. So you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't have blackness around you. That's the thing that, that I struggle with in terms of like presentation matching culture. And it makes me feel like more and more, I mean, I started this show saying that being mixed is not just about the mixed ethnicity. It's literally about the cultures that you come in because right. like for me, I can bounce between black Japanese and British English, you know, English every so often, you know, um, a hundred times a day, I can do that shit. <laughs> exactly. And see, uh, for me, like code switching comes so easy because yeah. when I was a kid, like it, it, it was almost like cartoonish or care or caricaturish when I would code switch because I hadn't fully like adopted it. Because right, and it, yeah. And, like, and I made a couple jokes about it ironically already, but growing up in a white household, the most the most black experience that I ever had was like watching VH1 and BET. And like that, like that was it. Like you, you never had black people around me that much to actually like absorb the culture. Yeah. So, so you had like a performative black access. Yeah, and it, like, yeah. it wasn't until later on when I not when I started to force my mom or actually go out of my way to be around my black relatives and learn about the culture. And it like even at work, you'll hear me very subtly switch because I work at a call center. I'll like like, like switch tones. It go from sounding almost like, like almost hood for some people, so like to actually sounding like 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 a very distinguished African American, as the like the, the public would like to see that be portrayed. And it's just it's that walking the line and tipping where I need to that I find myself doing because of the fact that I have that ability.
How does that make you feel though when you when you catch yourself doing it? Because sometimes it's so unconscious that you don't even you you don't even notice that you're doing it. Like I have, um, I don't even like more so. My, the accent that I speak with now is a trained accent because my aunt was like trying to get me to be able to be employable when I left Long Beach. Um, so while this is sort of the, my default accent now, my my natural accent was a hood accent. And so if I'm around hood folks, it don't take long for it to start coming out. Yeah. Um, but then I feel like it's like a memento. Like I wake up in the morning and this is the accent that I have. And as the day goes on, I become blacker and blacker and blacker until it's almost bedtime. I go to bed, I wake up. Now I have this accent again. And so like, I feel like whatever work my aunt did to train my my hood accent out of me took like it was it was like it really strong that it took away my accent which i i hate because i feel like it was kind of stolen from me like i i understand what she was trying to do but the fact that she felt the need to do that i think is is the problem because the other part is my name is charmaine right. my name is charmaine latrice it, yeah. it it comes out like you people are gonna see it no matter what so like in and there's times when i feel like i I code switch and I've caught it and I don't like how, like there's moments I don't like how it makes me feel that I decided to talk like this or more quote unquote proper or palatable for white folks and stuff like that. Like that, like that ends up making me really cringe that that happens. Even now that I, I fight it a lot more now. Like if I feel it coming on, I'll just try to see like for me i end up using it more as an ability more so than like a like a like a like a thing because now granted like you said the more as the day goes on you know, i'll hear myself kind of like rolling in the hood more so than proper but especially when i have to be around like white people for a long period of time i have to like forcibly turn the dial because as I grew up, and I the, the character, the caricature, cartoonish version of Hood began began to sort of like turn into what it should be, and not like a joke. Because I remember as a kid, like every other every other word like, was me trying to like like sound like I was Lil Wayne. It was the worst thing ever. Like, <laughs> like, like because that's all I had. Like like you would hear on the radio. That's what I like. That's what I would adopt. But it's just like. At, like, like I had to literally have my older uh, half brother come up to me one day and like smack me in the back of the head and be like, "You sound like a joke." That's and I'm funny. Like, okay. And I, like, I there to... isn't like a Akron hood accent that I mean, like that doesn't it, sound like Lil Wayne. That I you... mean, it, it was very much like if you know folks around here, everyone kind of sounds the same kind of thing. But it wasn't like you could adopt it kind of thing. I had I had to learn and. Once and once I was around more black folks, it became more common. Now, granted, when I was in high school and be working for an organization, the mayor had found it. I don't even know if you remember uh, Billy Soul, the guy like the old uh, dude who used to be on VH1 back in the day, like the original DJ for VH1. He became the assistant to the mayor of Akron and, mm. and founded an entire program to get inner city youth volunteer opportunities. And I was the youngest person to ever be a part of that program. And that's kind of where I was able to be around black folks for an extended amount of time because my mom didn't have the ability because of her work to let me be around my relatives. So that's where I started to adopt that, like that, like not really persona, but like the ability to have my more natural side of me like come out. Mm, okay. Yeah, like I, <laughs> this is why I want to have this conversation because it's so it's so different. 
mm-hmm. from from like the way that I ex- I experience things. And yet it's the most it's the most common story that I ex- that I experienced through this show um, and trying to connect to it for the sake of for the sake of the people who listen. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm a, a good resource or a helpful resource for like people to see themselves because mm-hmm. I it, it always it, it's so it baffles me um, that we can have these strange dynamics within our cultures that like literally what is black enough in quotes mm. for one of us is not black enough in quotes for some of some of the rest of us. So um, I know there was a period of time you left Ohio right? and you came back. Um, how did you maneuver once you left Ohio? So it was more so that I left Akron, not Ohio. Um, oh, okay. I, I had l- l- moved to West Dayton, like West Dayton for a while and lived in Troy because of the fact that my mom, like, as she became older, the single mom struggle, like, got to her, especially when, mm. she, like, because there was a period when she had lost her job working at the detention center here in Akron, and, like, the vet, like, it was, like, a, like a forced removal. It wasn't that she lost it for a wrong reason. It was that the judge was, like, super crazy or something like that and forced her out for doing the same thing that she was doing, which was taking care of the girls who left the, the, the juvie after work kind of thing. And once that happened, she sort of, like, drove herself into the Republican Party to then work with Republican judges in the downtown Akron area. And once that happened, her drinking became so much that I started to, like, like be verbally abused on the daily. So once I hit uh, college and I, I got away from her and was able to have people like sort of tell me from my experiences they heard that I was being abused, I was like, I need to get out. I need to actually remove myself from mm. this environment. And even when I would tell my like my immediate family, like my grandmother, my godmother, they're like, yo, she's your mom, Jay. You got to understand that. You can't just leave. Like, like, like that old saying of it's your, but like, she's your mom became so common that I started yeah. to say, I don't care. I don't abide by that statement. Cause there, you have unhealthy people in your family. Right. Both of my parents were abusive mm-hmm. um, and unhealthy people to be around. So when I put them behind me, I put them behind me. It, right. And also I didn't consent to be born. So yeah. I don't owe them shit. <laughs> it's the opposite. They owe me. I do not owe them. I did not consent to this. So Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I do not appreciate when people try to put that on like, oh, it's your day. You need to fix that. It happens, especially here in the South, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I say they'll ask about my parents and I say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have a relationship. I'm like, you need to fix that. I'm like, no, I don't. And I actually right. had someone here in Houston go, oh, like as soon as like it was like I was freshly in Houston. I was like here for two weeks and someone asked about my mother and I said, well, we don't talk. And I'm like, you need to fix that. And I'm like, no, we don't. I don't, need, I don't need to do shit and like she clashed her te- chest of this way of just like oh my goodness and i was like some people are unhealthy and unsafe and i'm not mm-hmm. i do not owe them anything i do not owe them my safety right that, that's how it became for me especially once i left it was very much like um because at the time I, w- I had been dating a girl and we even got engaged for a time i had moved in with her and her family and that was where like for a long time like any essence of blackness I had disappeared beyond saying I was black because of me being around like very non-denominational white white folks constantly on a daily basis. It mm. was very much like like I kid you not, me being like biracial, I was like the only black person within like 10, 20 miles, unless like they were on the outskirts of town. Like I would go to church and be the only couple like person in the room that had melanin. 
it was ridiculous mm. so it very much became a thing of like other than by name only i had no black culture around me mm. and it, it was just like granted it was the best decision for me because of what i was dealing with at the time mm-hmm. but in terms of actually being myself there was like no way to actually do that and that was where like i shoved myself back in the closet i had like moved like moved over here and started like dating girl got engaged like almost became a youth pastor Mm. like like, it it was a whole freaking thing and even when I, i started going to christian college and started like like getting into christian rap because obviously every freaking non-denominational like christian white kid knows who lecrae is and who nf is they act as if like they're holier than thou and i'm like all right bet so i started like learning about that and then i i drove myself into the underground christian rap where you got like the felons who then adopt the religion and started making music <laughs> that's where i started to fit in more so and there was even a point where i was going to a christian college became like the head of the radio station and was trying to get artists into there to perform and they were like we don't allow that type of music here and i was like oh i'm gonna leave now (laughs) so do you feel robbed of blackness when you are in places like this when you are mostly surrounded you do most definitely yeah no because like like, because even now that i've moved back to akron like it feels as if unless like like because i live on the east side versus like most of my dad's family lives on the west side like unless i interact with other people like by by choice Mm -hmm. i'm i I, like there is no black people that i see on the regular like even really i went down to the ice cream stand last week and i saw a girl that i went to elementary school middle school high school with and i hadn't seen her in years and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, hey, James. I'm like, what's up? And it, like, just she like, you can tell that other than becoming a mother, she hasn't aged a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here like I've changed so much. I've mm-hmm. gone through so many different hoops and battles and whatnot. And she she just kept with the, the motions. And it's just that being removed from different environments without my choice having a factor has definitely like altered my perspective on things. So do you walk around and there's times when you're you're really out here feeling like I'm not black or I'm not okay, white? So like, does that happen to you? Like, okay, there is so there's there's a very iconic Eddie Griffin special that he did where he like he started the the presentation with there's there's old ass Negroes that don't want to be bothered. There's um like, like like there's distinguished like like black folks that you don't mess with and then there's african-americans with their suit and tie and they go about their day and they, like, 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 and they do their thing and white folks accept them and then there's can I, can, am i allowed to say it is this that kind of show you can you're grown you can say what you gotta All say right, cool. and then there's niggas like like, like we're like like, like who, who like you don't fuck with them you don't bother them and it's very much like like, like, cause I don't want to be rude. Like, like different shows, different things. So, like, um, it, it's very much like, like that's how I sort of, I had to start like seeing the world, especially with my family, because my father is the definition of an old ass Negro that never learned anything. To this I day, see. like to this day, um, my brother and sister have a brother that, like, I still call my brother because, um like their mother had a relationship prior to my father and he transitioned to being a man and my father 
to this day will call, will like, will dead name the fuck out of them. Mm. And then when I came out, my my dad will make his jokes and whatnot because my, my my dad's in, like has been to prison, so he acts a certain way and carries himself and goes, "Oh yeah, Junior, you you gonna drop the soap?" I'm like, "Listen here, Lucius, wow. you quit that right now." So it's very much like 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 seeing like like that uh, comedy special opening showed me how my family is because they are that way to a T. I see. And it's very much like, wow, so you have, like, my grandfather who is, like, you don't bother him. And then there's my father who is a dumbass old Negro. Mm. And then there's, like, my brother who went from being a nigga who ran around, got arrested, acted a fool, and did the damn thing. And now he's, like, he works for a trucking company. He has a family. He's adopted Mm. two kids from that, like, from uh, the mother and had his own kid. He's become such a respectful but like a like man now that like because like, for so many years growing up i never wanted to be like my brother i never wanted to be like my, my father because they were so toxic individuals mm-hmm. like even when when i was in high school my, my my mother and my father fought for custody because my my brother his mom was like yo i'm gonna give up my parental rights cause, like because timmy he's acting a fool i don't want to deal with him mm-hmm. and like because he was running around the streets being a hooligan and then my, he, my, my dad wanted to do the same thing with me. That way he had less child support to pay. My mom said no. And granted, <laughs> was my mom much better of, of a person because of the, the abuse? No. But was it a healthier environment than my father? Yes. So mm-hmm. I had to like, 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 like pick the lesser of two evils when I went yeah. up on the stand because both of them really sucked as individuals. <laughs> yeah, just, I had that it, too. Yeah, <laughs> So it's just, you see these horrible examples. And then later on, after I left for six years, I came back. I found out my brother finally grew up and actually mm-hmm. became something for himself. My, my dad, still a dumbass <laughs> to this day. Like, he, he <laughs> like, what was it, like two weeks ago, he came back to town because he worked up in Michigan at the Chrysler plant. Once it moved up there, he came back to town to see one of his girlfriends and, pull, and like pulled up at my, at my front steps at like midnight called me like hey oh, junior come out and have a beer with me so he, he he's he's one of those old negroes that likes his corona oh are you a junior also i'm third but he calls me you're junior a third it's okay yeah gotcha. I'm, 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 my, my brother is timothy wayne the, the, the second from my father i'm named after my my, my uncle and my grandfather because my dad was kind of ignorant because when my because my uncle is gay as well and he thought, well, he's gay. He's not gonna have any kids, so I'm gonna name like him after oh my, my kid after him. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I only have I've had a discussion with my brother and said I'm probably gonna adopt at some point or have a surrogate. So, don't you dare! I'll kill you. So that that, that discussion mm. has already happened. Um, and my my dad shows up. He's one of those like like dudes who likes Corona with lime. I don't have that in my house. I like IPAs. So I bring him out of like a really strong IPA. He spits it out so fast. I'm like, what happened there, buddy? How you doing? And it's just like it, the, the dynamic is so different now where I don't put up with his shit and he doesn't like that. And it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I just stopped. So when I was 17, the ju- well, when I was 15, the judge told me that I had to see my father until I was 17 and a half. Once I was 17 and a half, I could choose to not see him anymore. 
um so well it, it was because of like the way the court case was going the the judge was about to release us back to my father and i threw a fit in the court i had to get the bailiffs had to carry two bailiffs had to carry me out i even managed <laughs> to get away from them i was like i was Damn. like 98 pounds and like four foot eight i got away from them <laughs> and slam there was this glass window like at you know how some courtrooms you you leave between two doors and there's like a scent a little foyer type of thing that had a it had a, a clear glass window and in between there before you left the courtroom i slammed up against the glass and i was like no like it was like a movie scene i was way dramatic because i was not going back to my dad and uh and so the the judge saw me and was like can i bring those children in you know like chambers so i went into chambers with my brother um so at the time I was like 14 and my brother was um, eight and they pulled us in chambers and he was like, what was that display? So I explained that like my dad's super abusive, but he's like real publicly respectable and I do not want to go back. I was like, I would rather go anywhere else, but with my dad. So he did grant custody to my mother, but it said I still had to see my dad for visitation until I was 17 and a half. So I was like, I will hold you to, I was like, put that in writing, please. I'm like 14 years old. I was like, please put that in writing so that I can legally hold you to that. So that when I was 17 and a half, I could stop seeing my dad. So when I was 17 and a um, half, I called my dad. I told him this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. You know, like I also said that um, I don't recall if I said, I hope you die young for what you did to me or my brother or that you would die young for what you did to me or my brother. In my memory, it's that you will die young. But I think it's probably more likely that I said, I hope you die young. He did. He died when I was 21. Um, All right. And then uh, and then my mom immediately gave me up. So my mom did the respectable thing in the in the courtroom. But then within two weeks, because her boyfriend used to come after me, she had me go to my aunt's house instead of leaving her boyfriend. So she's still with that man who used to molest me. Um, But she um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, But I stopped talking to her like it took me years to stop talking to her because she was my gateway to be able to speak to my grandma. So about three and a half years ago, we're talking and she says something about me not liking him that much. And I was like, you know what? Like, like, you know, and I am like yelling at her about like, you know what he did to me. And she tried to say that it was only one time and I fought him off of you. And I was like, you know, that's not true. Also, it shouldn't take more than once. <laughs> like, It shouldn't take more than once. So I said, do you want me to tell you exactly what he's done? And she hung up on me. And so we've never talked again. We never will talk again. Um, But the only reason I was talking to her is because she's the only way that I could get in touch with my grandmother who Mm -hmm. lives with a relative who I don't speak to also. So the whole bunch of family drama there to get to the point of being able to say, like, I chose at 17 and a half not to talk to my dad anymore um, for my safety. And then. I, I knew my mother wasn't safe, and yet I continued to talk to her because I wanted access to my grandma. I still want access to my grandma, but I don't have it right now, so I probably will never get a chance to speak to her right. again, despite, like, trying or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, like, they weren't good people, <laughs> so, like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine to not talk to these people that aren't healthy, safe people for you. Um, so, like, but I think that's what it was, is that I kept quiet for many years, and then once mm. I decided to not be quiet, my mom was like, nope, not going to hear that. And so just decided to hang up on me instead of actually hearing. What's, what's even funnier is like when you start to speak up, like they, they start to get scared because there was a point where um, I went to summer camp when I was like in elementary school and um, I had been going through puberty. So like hair was growing and whatnot. And like kids were being <laughs> bullies about it. And like 
there was just a straight point where like two girls were being horrible to me and making fun of me for having hairy legs. And I just dropped trowel and was like, yo, I'm hairy everywhere. What do you mean? <laughs> like the, the counselors came over and like said they're gonna like call my mom and I'm like screaming, top of my lungs, crying, like my mother will beat me. I don't want nothing to do with this. No, you're not, you're not, you're not calling her. And like they literally called everybody but her. And, t- and I, I I talked to like my mom, my 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 my, 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 my aunt, my godmother, my dad, because he was out of jail. I talked to my, my other my other grandmother. They're all like, "She's your mom, Jay. You have to go back to your mom." And I'm like, "Why does no one understand?" And it's just no like, one under you know like. Even in the system, like a lot of times they'll say like it's better to be united with your family than than with other people. Um, I don't know that that's always necessarily the case. Like you know, I have right. I have friends who are are foster parents and or adopted parents, and I've had um, or I've heard of them have people come back and be like, "Now I want my kid," and it's like I've had your kid now for twelve years. What are you talking about? Like right. that's my kid. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's necessarily always the safest situation, but I can understand that fear. But yeah, they get scared um, because I, I think there's certain things with statute of limitations. The problem is that it's provability, right? Like besides my own trauma, how do I prove that this person used to do this stuff to me? Um, when I know that if the stand comes up, my mom will lie her ass off to protect oh, her yeah, man over definitely. her child. That, that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there was even a point when, like, when she did finally have to come get me and they told her what I had said. She was like, I'm not going to beat you this time. That God way you, damn. That, that way you get away with it. But next time it's going to be worse. And I'm like, it's like, 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 so now no one really is going to believe me. Yeah. And, like, there have been times where, like, I remember. Uh, there was a time where I had fought back against a bully in high school, and I came home and like like she she was like beating my ass with a belt and whatnot, and I like I, I I had hit six foot, so I was taller than her. Mm. And I finally turned around and I was like, "Yo, let's go!" I like I, I squared up, and mm. and like she backed off, kind of afraid, and she said, "That's the one time you're gonna get away with that." And then the next day, and like for a while, she had been dating a guy who sort of became like the better african-american dad that i always wanted like mm. he played he oh played so she it. exclusively dated black dudes yeah no like, like, like to this day like um like, like she only dated two guys my dad and uh like, this other guy and he became like my stepdad without ever them actually getting married and yeah, same with my mom's yeah yeah and like she like 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 he was always around he played in a classic rock band so like he would come around and be around they would like like, like barbecue and do their whole thing and whatnot play music drink and do their thing but then after i finally got tired of her shit he showed up the next day because it was a saturday and like he like he ran up the stairs grabbed me out of bed by the scuff of my shirt threw me against the wall not a non-relative coming in to right like for disrespecting my mom and i'm like and like i didn't know how to feel about it and I, i i told him years later after i left i'm like you don't understand what you did to me that day because she was the one in the wrong and you let yeah. her manipulate you. Yeah. And it's like, like, like in years later, he realized how manipulative she was. Her drinking was a problem. And like, they would break up and get back together and break up and get back together. And it was to the point where like, she never learned and never grew. And she ended up drinking herself to death. And like, oh, really? and he, like her birthday is this weekend, ironically. And, and like, he, and he called me and was like, you want to go get a drink? And like, and like celebrate her life? I'm like, no, are you out of your damn mind? Like, 
the way that I don't need to celebrate these people that I come Hi. from, you know, like, um, yeah, that's pretty wild, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I can 100% relate to a lot of what you said. Uh, we are coming a little, <laughs> on that note, we are coming to a little bit <laughs> close to the end. Um, my segues sometimes are trash on this oh, show. No, I mean, this is your episode. That's the whole thing. It's, it's about your experience. Uh, given that we kind of struggle sometimes with, with like our identities and, and how to exist as mixed folks or whatever, I do like to ask the question towards the end of the show of mm-hmm. my guests, what is it that you love most about being a mixed person? See, for a long time, like I said, I've struggled with being mixed. Like, mm. I'll, like, like I'll even say, like, I, I even use the old joke of Plessy versus Ferguson of like, um, what, like, 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 one percent black is enough. I'm black. I don't care. Mm-hmm, like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna like claim the whiteness because of how much being white is a problem in today's society. I see. But like, I, I've, I've ended up like sort of weaponizing my whiteness to be able to get me farther and f- and further than, than other people can be but at the same time what would i rather be black and support black culture and like to this day i would I, I i wish there was a way i could i could hit the reset button and be with a healthier black individual than my father and mm, be able and i see yeah be like like to this day, I swear, like the other guy, like who was more so my stepdad, I wish he was my dad because at least he was a healthier black person. But he definitely became more so the African American than, than like than, like than an old ass Negro. He very much is like he had he had rich black parents and whatnot, and like and, like he had that ability. So I never really got to have the culture be the way it should be. So mm-hmm. I at a point where I just like I've weaponized it more than being what I want it to be. And like, am I happy to be mixed? Yeah, sure. Cause I, I can definitely be an impact for people and be a representative for people, mm-hmm. but I'd rather just say I'm black most days than yeah, to be honest. I mean, I, so the motto for this show is be your mixed ass self. And what I mean by that is like, whatever that means to you. So like in my case, like I said, like in terms of my ethnic breakdown, I'm half British white and than a quarter black and a quarter Japanese. In terms of my upbringing, I'm black with like weekend Japanese is how I has how I described it. You know, mm-hmm. now as an adult, I'm predominantly black with a, more Japanese culture than I used to have. But um, but still, you know, for me, it's it's black first, and it just because I happen to be in a light skin, ambiguous presenting person doesn't take away my blackness. It doesn't make me feel less in my blackness but like i i feel like i literally cannot claim the whiteness because i did not grow up around whiteness um i grew up around a white person who was infrequently you know in and out of my life frequently right so or my childhood anyway so like for me being my mixed ass self is being a black mixed asian you know like where black is the predominant the hierarchical um, culture so for me, that's me being my my mixed ass self. For you or anybody that's or any mixed person to to choose with quotation fingers whatever your brown is versus your white makes sense to me because in one case that unless you're a white passing white presenting white assumed white presumed person, you can't maneuver white. Like the whiteness in terms of race is so strong 
that like unless you have that pre presentation you literally can't you can grow up as white as fuck and you literally cannot walk outside of your house and be a white person for those of the the mixed folks that do have a white passing white presenting white pass you know white presentation white assumption um situation that's a different experience because for them it's probably harder for them to be the brown even if they right. grew up around the brown right like you have to understand that in terms of your racial appearance you know like the phenotypes and stuff like that how people perceive you and how you're gonna be treated does impact your identity but right. who you are you tell them that's a different story so in your case like if being black is more your experience, but also more your deal, I don't see that as you being any less your mixed ass self than, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause yeah. honestly, if my presentation, if we had to pick presentations, I would not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my face, but I would change my skin color because oh, you know, it would yeah. be easier to maneuver in the way that I embody. Cause I have to answer too many questions mm -hmm. being this, this, you know, presentation as a as a black identified femme you know what i'm saying like a black a black identified asian femme, like a you know like a mixed it's black a asian femme but like really my core personality my core identity is is as a black femme so like i feel that that is completely reasonable and completely valid i know that there is those conversations which is kind of what prompted me to start talking about this with um so we have these episodes i was telling you about the mix auntie confidential episodes where myself and teresa stovall uh, we both talk about this thing of like we grew up in a time when if you were mixed with black you were black full stop and mm -hmm. and now that's not really the case because the the generation that grew up with the internet they've claimed their mixed identity a lot differently than the rest of us and so a lot of that younger generation will say that it's toxic to tell them that if you're black you're you know if you're a little bit black you're all black and um, that's also fine to me too, like in terms of how people identify. That being said, based off your presentation, you are going to be treated like a black man. It don't matter how light you are, you have the phenotypes of a black man, so you are gonna be treated that way. And um, not to say that your identity needs to match how you're treated, but you need to have the awareness of it so that you can maneuver. Exactly. And I think that's what you're what you're talking about. And, and so sometimes it goes, Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's tough. But I can I can see. Also, you don't owe anybody any. Um, you don't owe anybody any kind of particular identity. You can be whatever identity you have. You know that you have access to and stuff like that. And in your case, that's that's what like you're valid. Like I don't know. I hate this part. Like where someone yeah, doesn't feel like, valid because of it. Well, and not only that. Sometimes like it sucks being mixed because like, especially because of how like because of my father and not having that connection with my family sometimes or the fact that I understand that too, they'll, yeah. they'll even like persecute you for not being around your family more like mm -hmm. they'll be like oh you don't see your grandfather enough you don't come around your, your brother when you're the child that literally like the adults right. should come to you type of thing yeah exactly. i hate and, that and, too. And it's like it makes me feel almost lost between races almost mm -hmm. like i don't have a place so i, I sort of had to carve my own platform as a black person rather than involve myself with toxic individuals if that makes sense that makes a complete that completely makes sense and in my case like i i struggle with the problematic father as well and even though he was a presence throughout most of my life a lot of my black identity is tied up in the neighborhood that i grew up in the people i grew up around the you know the elders in the church that i grew up in and stuff like that too like i i i luckily did not only get my blackness from my 
Tom of a father, basically, mm -hmm. you know, for lack of a better term. Um, but that, you know, that's what he was like. He, he tried really hard to, to not embrace his blackness while moving us to a very black area while having us go to a black church and mm -hmm. literally pointing to people and be like, don't be black like them. Mm -hmm. You know, that I could never abide by. And, and for me, um, having that immersion in the black culture, that's where I feel the most comfortable. And that's the kind of environment that I live in now too, where I live here in Houston. So I say it's about, you know, like, I mean, take me for what it is. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm just a mixed podcaster, but I would say yeah. like your identity, the way you feel is, is you should not have to feel uncomfortable in identifying the way that you do, because you, you have at the bare minimum, you have the mix. So boom, right. at that, like, if you start to stack the other stuff, you know, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that, that adds to it or subtracts to it from depending on how you feel. But, um, but that's the part that hurts me the most about doing the show and makes me want to keep doing the show is to, if I'm the accidental validator, it wasn't what I signed up for. It wasn't what I thought my, you know, it can be helpful for some people. And, and sometimes it does take an outsider to look at you and be like, I see it. You know, and I, I do. I mean, I, I literally experience it on a daily basis, too. So I get what I get what you're saying. Right. Um, why don't you tell everybody uh, a little bit about your show and how to find you on the social medias and All then right. we'll get out of here. Ooh, I'm gonna say like you can find uh, my Twitter at James C P uh, Portis P O R T I S three. Um, that's where I like not only do I talk like nerdy stuff, but also like I'll, like I'll promote the comics and, and whatnot. Especially because with it being Pride Month, we're trying to do more of a push for queer content on a queer podcast. So you'll see us on the Twitter at P two P underscore podcast because we want to like highlight that content, want to like support that content, and then the podcast like whether it's Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever. If you go to Anchor FM slash panel dash two dash panel, you are able to find the entire show wherever you listen to it, like Audible, Amazon Music, Pandora, wherever you gotta find it. Like, because apparently a lot of people are hip to Pandora podcasts all of a sudden. Which yeah, I just cool. applied for a Pandora earlier this year, and I've started to see some trickles in on people yeah. actually. It took like on. months when it first dropped. It takes too. a like, really long time, yeah. So like, once I got it, 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 it seemed to really be beneficial. So definitely yeah. check that out. And like, yeah, no, we're, like, I'm working on a Destiny 2 podcast, because like, SD2 is a very divisive topic amongst the community, but not everyone's <laughs> down for that, so that'll, that'll be a work in progress. But the main focus is like highlighting queer content, highlighting black content, and just giving people a voice with the, with the podcast. That's, that's, the, that's the goal, so I'm happy to do that. Mm, cool. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and uh, sharing your experience. Um, and just know that once you once you have been on Militantly Mixed, you are now a cousin, so you don't have to be out there on these mixed-ass streets all by yourself. There's a whole community of us um, here to support you. And um, like I always say, be your mixed-ass self. All right. <laughs> Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.